Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Ridge Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, check us out online at theridgechurch.net. Also, be sure to connect with us on Facebook and Twitter. Thanks for listening today. So, we're gathered here this morning. And if you are in Christ, you are a member of God's church. And so one of the things that that I really wrestle with, and you've heard me say this before, is that what is the church supposed to be? I mean, what's the purpose of the church? Is it just to gather on Sunday and sing some songs and have some coffee and, and listen to somebody talk about the Bible? No. No, it's, it's more than that. So if I could just say that really what, what the purpose of the church is, is what? We are the bride of Christ. We are to bring glory to the Father. We're to bring glory to the Son. We're, we're to, and how do we do that? Like, is it just showing up? Is this what he wants? Like, if you just show up, you'll bring him glory. Now, I will say that one of my lines in a lot of my life is, is that I'm not good at a lot of things, but sometimes I'm just good at showing up, Right? But showing up is not enough in the kingdom. It is a start. It's, it is good to show up. It's, it's good to be in church. It's good to be at a Bible study. Those are good things. And it is the first step. You got to show up. You got to be there, right? But there's more to it than that. What does God desire for us? How do we bring Him glory? And that's really what I want to talk to you about today a little bit. So last week we looked at when we come to Christ, we admit we're a sinner. We we come to the saving knowledge. The Holy Spirit comes into us and transforms us and and makes us a new creation in Christ. And we give our life and we get baptized as a public profession. We go into the water. We we die. We're symbolically saying we die to the old person and we want to be raised with Christ. We want to live for him. Okay, now wait a minute. Did you hear what I said? We say we want to live for him. Not for ourselves. That was the old guy. That was the old woman. It was the old person that we put down. That's the person that wants to be selfish. That's the person that wants to live for themselves. The new person that comes up doesn't want to live for themselves any longer. They want to live for Christ. They want to live for God, for his glory. Boy, I wish it was that simple to just say it and do that, wouldn't it? Wouldn't that be nice? That we just come up out of the water and say, man, the old person's gone. I just want to love Jesus, and I want to give my whole life away. (laughs) But no, the flesh is still there. The flesh is still there. (laughs) It is there every day. It will be there every day until someday God takes you home. You will battle with that flesh every day. It is never going to go away. You never turn your back on it. You continually desire to kill it every chance it rears its head. I've said it before. It's whack-a-mole. It pumps up, you kill it. Right? It comes up over here, you kill it. And it will come up, and it will come up, and it will come up until time ends. And so, what do we do in that time? What has God given us to do in the time between we come to Christ, we get baptized, we we become in the fellowship of the church until he brings us home? There's this period of time now. What does he want us to do? We could preach a year on that. We're just going to talk about a few things this morning. So here, Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus. Um, 
I won't go into all the details of Ephesus, but, but obviously Paul spent a lot of time there, a couple years. Uh, the Apostle John was spent time there. Some people think he was actually a pastor there. It was really a, a, a central place of the development of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel, and, and that's where it was. And so Paul here in his letter, in Ephesians chapter 4, It's telling them and reminding the church of some beautiful things and and just really pouring into them and saying, this is what God has done for you, for his kingdom, for his glory, for his purposes. And the first three chapters are kind of that. And then chapter four, he then says what we're talking about today, what John just read to us. So I want to spend just a few moments and I want to sum up Chapter 1, 2, and 3. And I'm going to read some scriptures, and some of it's just going to be, um, I'm just going to paraphrase some things. Um, some things are going to be on the screen, but the, the whole scriptures are not going to be on the screen. And I just want you to sit and listen to what Paul is telling us that God has done for us. Ephesians 1, chapter, th- uh, chapter verse 3 and 4. He has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing In heavenly places. He has chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he's predestined us for adoption to be himself as sons through Jesus Christ. Verse 7 and 8, he has redeemed us through his blood. He has forgiven us our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us with wisdom and insight. Ephesians 9, making known the mystery of his will according to his purpose he set forth in Christ. He's revealed himself, the mystery of him, and the gospel to us. He has ordained an inheritance for us. He has sealed us with the promise of the Holy Spirit, and he's guaranteed the inheritance through the Holy Spirit until we acquire possession of it when we go home. We were dead, but he made us alive, chapter 2, because he's rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, God made us alive with Christ. Ephesians chapter 2, 6, you were raised up with him and seated with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 2, 8, he's given us the free gift of grace through faith. 2, 13, he's brought us near to God through the blood of Christ. 2, 16, he's reconciled us to himself. 2, 18, gave us access to the Father. 2, 19, made us citizens of heaven. Ephesians 3 revealed the mystery that the Gentiles will be fellow heirs with the Jews in heaven. How do we respond to that? I mean, all of that he has done. That's what Paul is just pouring this out on this early church. And he's saying, I want you to know the greatness and the depths of God's love for you. What he has done before time and his whole picture and what he's doing and how he's pouring out his love and his purposes and his plan in you, in his church, his bride. So when we get to chapter four, I just love these words, right? When we get to chapter four, verse one, what does he say? I therefore, like because of everything I've just wrote to you, right? I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord. Now Paul is saying what? I've, I'm, I'm sold out, right? Yes, he's been physically a prisoner as well. So there's some symbolic nature to that too. 
but he's a prisoner for Christ. And he's saying, look, I, I've, I've sold myself. I'm a prisoner to him. Whatever he wants, I am a slave for Christ. Right? He's just identifying with Christ there. I, therefore, urge you right, to walk in a manner worthy of the calling in which you have been called. He's just saying, look, if God has done all of that, if he's saved you, if he's redeemed you, if he's seated you in heavenly places, if he's, if he's adopted you, he's predestined you, I urge you to walk in a way that honors that. And so one of the things I want to say here is, is that what does God want us to do from the time of salvation and, and new birth and the baptism and we come and what? He wants us to walk in a way worthy of him. He wants us to be light. He wants us to be salt. He wants us to, to show the gospel. He wants us to teach the gospel. He wants to preach the gospel. He wants us to share the truth. He wants us to comfort people. He wants us to be more like him. He wants us to grow up into the fullness of Christ. I could have, I could have quoted so many scriptures this morning. We don't have time for everything I've got to cover. Right? That's what he wants. That's what his desire is. He's placed his spirit in us, and he wants to sanctify us. What does sanctification mean? It means to transform us into the image of his son. Right? That's, that's the work that's happening right now, should be happening in your life if you're in Christ this morning. You should want that. You should be seeking that. You should crave that. And yet the flesh is always going to be there saying, no, you don't want that. There's going to be a war there. There's, there's going to be a battle that sometimes is brutal. I'm telling you, it is. I have it. I, I won't get into the details. I had it this week, right? And it doesn't always have to deal with sin. It can just deal with saying, just go this way. Like, don't worry about that. Don't, it, it can be, I mean, there's so many things that the flesh will begin to, to work in our hearts on. This, this word, though, that he says, I urge you, right? This is Paul's urging. This word could be translated um, exhort, uh, implore. Some translation may even say, I beg. <laughs> I beg you, based on this, <laughs> live this way. I mean, I know that some of you can relate to this. Now, think about the Apostle Paul for a second. Um, I mean, we, we have no idea when, when Paul first became a believer, first of all, he's not, you know, Jesus appears to him and, and, and says, Paul, Paul, why are you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And, and then he gets baptized and then he goes into Arabia for a while. We don't know what happened when he was gone, but we trust that the Lord was with him and speaking to him. And we don't know. There's a, there's a mystery there, right? Maybe Christ actually appeared to him and, and taught him. We don't know because Paul copes on the scene later and fully aware of the gospel and the truths of scripture. And he's able to write Romans and all of these things. That didn't happen just through a conversation with a few people of the apostles. Somehow God had given him that. So Paul has this knowledge, this understanding that God is who he says he is. And so when he deals with his brethren and when he deals with the Gentiles, the people that are not Jews, and he explains the gospel, he sees it so clearly, don't you think? And he, he sees it and he just wants to communicate it so that they will see it. And when he implores them, he says, no, because he gets it. Haven't you ever felt that way? <laughs> like, you know something so true and so right, and you want to tell somebody something, and they just don't see it. They just, they can't get it. And, and, and it can be anything, but specifically here, as we're talking about 
salvation and what God has done and who Christ is and the beauty. I mean, I, I chuckle every time I'm, I'm, I'm watching TV because, you know, there's so much of the world today. Um, God is, you know, um, evolution and, and all of this and God's, you know, not real and atheism and all, all of the things, other things. And, and I'll be watching a show. I was watching something the other night and, and um, I don't know what it was. Usually it's animal life of some sort. I'm like, okay, who would think that that just happened, right? I mean, like, come on, right? I mean, there was some ocean thing, and there was these creatures and this worm that lives underneath the sand that's like 10 feet long and comes up out and kills fish. I'm like, okay, did that just happen? I mean, that just randomly, that happened. If you'd see this thing, it was gnarly looking. It just doesn't happen, right? God in his infinite wisdom and his imagination and his creativeness just creates things that blow our mind away. And then we come and say, no, that just randomly happened. That's just millions of years, surely. I mean, we are just delusional because our hearts are so hard and, and so cold to the truth of the gospel. It is just, it's a mass delusion. And yet, even when I know that, there are moments I have doubt. That's what Paul is doing here. He's begging because he sees it so clearly. And then what does he say? Walk. What does it mean to walk? It means to live, right? It means to conduct our life in a certain manner, to live a certain way. The whole much of the New Testament talks about that. Obviously, the Old Testament, the law, it is not a punishment. It's, it's God is saying, no, this is how you live to be holy. This is how you live to be like me. This, this is the things that are going to make your life joyful. This is what's going to cause you, not going to cause you grief. It's going to make your life better. To live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. He's saying, look, this is, this is what he's given you. There's a call. Dick talked about this a few weeks ago in his message. There's a general call. We look outside in, in Romans chapter 2. We see creation. We see the, the trees. We see all of it. And there's this God is saying, look, I'm real. I'm, I'm telling you, I'm real. Right? There's a general call. There's a specific call to people. Right? Now, Paul gives some details now on exactly what that manner of living looks like. Because see, it's not enough. And this is where we kind of stop short sometimes. We want to say, well, I'm a good person. I, I, I live in a manner worthy. Okay. Maybe. I'm sure we're all striving for that. But I know I look at my own heart and I do not live the way that I should all the time. I'm striving for that. And that's what I really want to talk about this morning. This is not about being perfect. This is not about living a perfect life. It's about striving Paul is urging us to have a, a, a strivingness to, to live in a way that honors and pleases God because everything in the world is telling us not to do that. Even in the most subtle ways, it's leading us a different direction. And so what does he say in Ephesians chapter 2? He says, with all humility, so what, right? Live in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility. Now he's going to get very specific and we're going to spend some time camped out on these words. With all humility and gentleness... With patience, bearing with one another in love. Humility. The number one thing, the attribute, I would say, of Christ is humility. It is, it is, it is a Philippians chapter 2, right? It's this beautiful picture of what humility looks like. I, I will tell you that in, in biblical counseling, um, 
uh, the counselors here at the church are constantly, that, that's where we go, pride and humility. Pride and humility, right? Um, because it is where the battle is fought in the human heart. It is, it is the cornerstone of it, right? It, everything kind of goes off of that. We see it, pride, Satan, Lucifer, pride was found in him. It is the thing. We want what we want. That's pride. Everything has its, its roots in pride. The opposite, the antidote to that is dying to self, is humility. Not, not thinking about yourself first, but something else. Adam and Eve, they were thinking about themselves. They wanted what they wanted. Cain wanted what he wanted. He was jealous. He wanted his brother out of the way. He was jealous. He was dead, right? We go all the way through the Old Testament. Everybody wants what they want. We get the New Testament. Peter denies Jesus. Why? Because he wants what he wants. He doesn't want to be guilty. He doesn't want to be crucified. He doesn't want that, right? We just go on and on. Ananias and Sapphira, they want the money. <laughs> they, they don't want to give it away. They didn't even have to give it away, but then they lied about it. It's not that God needed their money. But it's that challenge, and all those things are rooted in pride. I will tell you that, and I've shared this with many of you, and, and sometimes, you know, I often wonder what I share and how much I should share, and, and, um, but it is what it is. Um, I really never looked at myself as a prideful person. That's prideful in itself, but um, until I began to get into biblical counseling. And now I'm overwhelmed by my pride. I've thought about, you know, I, I, don't, I don't want to preach. I mean, that, that's, I didn't desire to preach. I, I wasn't like, oh, I want to be a pastor. I want to be a, you know, I want to be the lead pastor. I want to preach, you know. No. And so I'm thinking, no, I'm humble. I don't want that. But you know, what I realized is the reason I don't want to preach is because I don't want to fail. And you know what that is? That's pride. So my fear is rooted in pride. My lack of obedience is rooted in pride. It all goes back there. And so what Paul is saying is, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling. And the first thing he gives us is the big one, which is live with humility, with all humility. Paul obviously points to this, like I said earlier in Philippians chapter 2. It says in verse 3 of chapter 2, do nothing out of, from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. And we quote that. It's on walls. It's on bumper stickers. I mean, it's everywhere, right? But between baptism and going home, I'm asking you, is that your goal? Is that what you're striving for? To live like that. Because that's what he's asking. He's saying in light of all this, this is how you should live. Do nothing out of selfish ambition. Wow, we could spend a lot of time there. What does it mean to spend, have no selfish ambition? That means to just put others first. It, it, we could just, there's just, I'll let you think about that. Where is that at in your life? It's clearly in marriages, how we, how we have to die to ourselves, to our spouse. We want what we want, right? That's that whole thing. Why do we do what we want? Because we want what we want. Why do we do what we do? Because we want what we want. It's, that's the thing right there. It's that pride. It's I want what I want. I, I'm, I'm prideful. I don't want to be humble, so I want what I want. It is the challenge to all of us. And it says, but count others more significant. <laughs> we don't want that. We want to be significant. The whole human heart wants to be significant. It wants to be on display. We chase after all sorts of things. 
As I think about students and the challenge of being in high school, man, that the heart wants what it wants. It's on display before all the other students. I mean, I, re- I know you don't think I can remember this far back. I remember in seventh and eighth grade, man, it was the hardest time of my life. Everybody's looking. What you're wearing, how your hair is, you know what I mean? At the time, we were wearing jeans and hiking boots with the big red things, man, and I had to have a pair of those hiking boots, man, because I had to be in, right? I had to be cool. Later in my 20s, there was a cowboy boot moment, but that was a whole other thing, right? I know. I'm sorry. Nothing against you cowboys. I'm not just, I'm not a cowboy, so it's kind of disingenuous to be wearing them and think I am somebody. Um, but that's what, but it's every day we want it. Every day we're, we're seeking after it, and it's so hard. And, and, and I want to tell you that I'm going to kind of cut to some of the chase here. It's one of the reasons why the church is so important. It's one of the reasons why God has brought us together in, in a community so that we can help each other in those moments. So we can pray for each other, and we can, admon- we can say, hey, buddy, you're, you're prideful right now. We may not put it that way, but, but we're, we're pointing it out to you. We're, not, we're here to love you. We're here to help you with that. You're off base right here. Like, we're, we're a family that should be helping each other. But I'm, I'm going to get practical just for a second. This is very practical when it comes to, to, to putting others first because this is really at the base level of, of what it means. When you go out with a friend or when you talk to a neighbor or um, a family person or, you, you're, you know, whatever, you're out to dinner with someone, how much time do you spend asking about their life? I mean, really asking. How much do you really care about what's going on in their life? I will tell you, after 25 years in ministry, not many people ask. Most of us talk about ourselves. Believe me, I meet with a lot of people. I don't know, maybe they just think my life is perfect and everything is good, so they don't need to ask. Wrong, right? And and look, I'm not saying I'm perfect at it. But think about the last time you met with someone and you really didn't think about yourself during that conversation. You weren't thinking about, oh, I want to tell them this. I want to tell them this about what I did and where I went and I'm a smuggler on my life. And I, just, I can't wait till they shut up so I can tell them, you know? And you're not even listening to what they're saying, right? I mean, we're laughing because we know it's true. Right? I do it, right? I'm like, okay, yeah, I got, I got to remember that. In fact, I'm going to pick on Jenny Phillips. She crosses her fingers. And you know, like, she's got something she wants to tell you. You know what I mean? Like, she doesn't want to forget that what she has, you know, and I get it. Sometimes we need to do that. But, but this is where the rubber meets the road in our Christian walk. This, this is where Christ is exhibited and demonstrated and shown to people. What's it say? Do nothing out of selfish ambition. So don't talk about yourself the whole time at dinner. Don't do it. Don't be conceited. Count others, the person you're sitting with, as what? More significant than you. What they have to say is more significant than what you have to say. Have you ever? Because, like, think about it, talk through it, and then and say, man, that's, that's incredible. And boy, you know, we learn all sorts of um, 
communication skills. You're going to repeat what they've told you so that you understand it is true. Don't just say, well, yeah, okay, let's in one ear and out the other. Now can I talk? You know, like, I heard you. Can I go now? Right? That's where our head goes. Maybe you need to spend some time and just ask more questions. Maybe you need to affirm some things in their life. Maybe you need to have some empathy there. Maybe you need to say, man, can, can we just pray right now? Can I pray for you? Because, man, that's a lot. Can, can, or can I pray and just rejoice with you? Can we just praise God for what's going on in your life right now? Let's give him the glory for this. Because, man, it is good right now what he's doing, isn't it? It doesn't feel good to have that happening in your life. Alex Goldie called me at 6.30 this morning. It's obviously in those moments, it's not about us, right? But I, it's, those are clear moments. But what about those moments you're just sitting and someone's heart is hurting, but you're not asking? And they're not showing because we are so good at making walls up around ourselves. We don't want to be hurt. We don't want to expose ourselves. We don't want to be vulnerable. We don't want it. And so we just build it up. And sometimes it takes a while to help chip away at that a little bit. Think about being 14, that wall is like 20 feet thick, right? And for a parent, sometimes it's, it's day after day after day of just lovingly coming alongside because they're, they're afraid. I get it. That's where the rubber meets the road. So this week, if you go to lunch or today, if you go out to lunch, and now you're going to try and outdo each other, I hope, Right? No, I can't talk about myself. He said, you talk about, no, I can't talk about myself. You talk about yourself, no, right? Share, split the time, right? Ask. All right, humility. But, but see what I'm saying? And I think one of the things in this, this book that we go through, we take people through a book in, in biblical counseling, Pride Humility. There's 30 manifestations of pride. Most of us think it's just this one thing, kind of like I did. No, it's in everything, like if you, if you want to come to some counseling, uh, check in with Robin over there. Check in with Desiree back there, Brian. Um, they'll help you find out that you're a very prideful person. No. Um, and, and lead you to humility, right? Lead you to humility. All right. We've, we've, we've covered that one. Gentleness. With all humility and gentleness. So not only is there humility in Christ, right? He, because he says there in the rest of Ephesians, or Philippians that he, how did he demonstrate his humility? He left the throne. He came down and he took on flesh. And not only did he take on flesh and become a man, but he died on the cross, right? And it was a brutal thing, right? He gave up everything and died a horrible death. That demonstrated his humility. It wasn't just like Paul saying, no, Jesus told us to do this. No, Jesus told us to do this and this is how he does it. And he sets a bar that we will probably never be able to hit, obviously, because he's God, right? But, but he sets the bar for us to strive for. All right, gentleness. Gentleness. What does it mean to be gentle? Well, first of all, I, I just want to take you to Matthew chapter 11. And let's, let's hear from Jesus himself about gentleness, about what he says about himself. Matthew chapter 11 in the Gospels, verse 29. It says, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. That word lowly uh, in the New Testament was not a, was not a word that, that people wanted to be called, right? And, and so Jesus is saying, you know, uh, he's not afraid of who he is. He's saying, no, I'm gentle. I am lowly. I, I am not prideful. I, 
I'm gentle. You can come to me. You can bring anything. I will not be harsh with you. Right? I mean, think about that. I know when we struggle in sin, we think, oh, I'm going to go to God, and he's so mad at me. You know, he's going to just... No, what, what does Scripture say? John 3.16, what? He sent his son to the world, not to condemn the world. Right? Not to condemn it, but to forgive it, to make a way for it. I mean, it was an act of love. It was not an act of vengeance. Believe me, that day is common for those who are unrepentant. Don't, don't miss that. I'm not, I'm not trying to candy coat God loves all and he's not going to. No, there's a day that justice will come. But right now, we're in the opportunity of grace and forgiveness. And God has poured out himself for us and said, now is the time. What are we going to do? Right? How do we? And if we've given our life to Christ, now we're on mission to be part of the thing that tells people what they need to do. It reminds them of what God has done for them. But Jesus says, I am gentle and lowly. So do not be afraid to come to Christ. He is he's loving. He's gracious. He dies for you. He's gentle. Paul says in Galatians chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, that it's a fruit of the Spirit. But the fruits of the Spirit is love and joy and peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. So it's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing. But all of those things, see, the, it's love. It's loving people. Loving people, you go to 1 Corinthians chapter 13, the love chapter, right? It's kind, it's, it's patient, you know, it doesn't boast, all those things. It's, once again, it's back to humility, Right? It's joy, it's peace, it's patience. We see here, we're going to cover patience here in a minute. It's another one of those things. It's kindness. It's, it's being kindness is not just, it's being generous with people because you don't put yourself first. You're not thinking of yourself first. You're being kind. You can give things away because it's not about you. You can be generous with your money. You can be generous with your time because it's not about you. I'm just trying to think about, I just thought something this morning as I was walking through the building, and I, you know, I, I, everything that we have is going to perish. This building is going to perish. I think I told you guys many, many times. I probably said several years ago. I was walking through the lobby one day, and and I had the uh, you know the privilege of helping be part of the team that designed the building and, and helped work on the building and. And, you know, I'd really like our lobby. I don't, I'm selfish. They're prideful, I guess, you know. And God told me one day, he says, it's all going to perish. Like, like, this is not really anything to hang on to. Hope you know that. And my flesh says, no, man, this is important. I think about it in my home some days. All this work, it's all going to perish, <laughs> right? Now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't care for God's creation. We shouldn't be good stewards of his. Yes, we should. And men especially don't get the idea that, oh, man, sweetie, I don't need to do that. I don't need to mow the grass because it's all going to perish. I don't need to fix that over there. That window's broken. But it's all going to perish, what Pastor Ali said. We don't need to worry about that. That's not what I'm saying. So women, don't let your husbands say that, right? We need to be good stewards. Now, I would say there's also a pendulum swing there that all you do is do those things, and that's where you find your hope. That's where you find your, your value and your identity and having the perfect place and the perfect things and the best of everything. That is also very sinful and takes us away from God. 
We see in 1 Timothy and Titus, what? The gentleness is a qualification for eldership. To be an elder of the church, to help lead, to pastor the church, to guide people. Gentleness is the thing. And how many times have you heard, and I hate to say this, and I'm not saying we're perfect at this, that elders in some church have been harsh. <laughs> yeah, because we're struggling with our flesh. It is not appropriate. We should be gentle. We should be gentle. We should love. We're here to serve, not to have authority over. There is a level of, of responsibility. There's, there is some authority that's woven into that. But the idea is that we are to serve, not to rule over. James, Jesus' half-brother in the book of James, chapter 3, verses 16 and 17, puts it this way. He says, for where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, and we know it does, there will be disorder and every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, and good fruits, impartial and sincere. There's, there's beautiful things in gentleness. All right? But selfish ambition brings disorder and every vile practice. So, Two practical things here that the scripture gives us uh, when we are thinking about how we should be gentle. When we share our faith, right? I was saying earlier that how will they know unless someone tells them? Well, when we share our faith, how should we do that? We want to sometimes, you know, we want to, I'm a debater, man. I want to, I want to wrestle to the ground. I want to prove it to you. I want to, and I'm trying to really change my heart there, right? Because what does scripture say? Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, says this. It says, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks of you for the reason of the hope that is in you. We got that down, right? We want to tell them. We, we, we want to let them know. Here's my hope, right? And we can be harsh in those moments if we're not careful. But if we read the rest of it, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Right? Do it with gentleness and respect. Because why? Because at those moments, we're trying to be Christ to them. He's gentle, right? He, he did not consider himself Right? And, and we know that, that we can't win anybody. We can't save anybody. Right? And, and, and while I understand what people mean when they say, well, I'm a soul winner. I just want to say, no, you're not. <laughs> you're not a soul winner. You're, you're a gospel preacher person. You, you are, you're a minister of the gospel. You share the good news. The, the winner of the soul is God. He's the one that transforms people. Not us. We have the ability to share. Some of us, as it says in Ephesians later here in 4, some of the, God has given some evangelistic people, the people that love to share the gospel. They're great at it, right? Absolutely. I just would caution you to ever use the word that you're a soul winner, right? You're not a soul winner. You're a loving saint that loves to preach Jesus, right? And see what God does when you do that. What about when we restore someone in sin? There's another time we can be harsh as the church. Man, we just want to... We want to be harsh, right? We want to tell people. We want to condemn them in their sin. You know, we want to punish them. What does Paul say in Galatians chapter 6, verse 1? Brothers, if anyone is caught in a transgression, you who are spiritual, right, should restore him in the spirit of gentleness. 
we come alongside. Yes, if, if, if there's open rebellion, if there's open disobedience, we, we, there's restrictions, right? If, if someone here in the church is, is doing something in open sin, we say, okay, we well, can't serve. You, you can't be on the worship team. You can't do the tech. You can't pass out programs and, um, you know, be at the bar every week getting hammered and being drunk. You, we're not going to let you do that. We're, there's, yeah, and we're going to come alongside them. We're going to admonish them. We're going to help them as best we can. But all of that can be done in gentleness. And we don't do that well sometimes. I'm, not, I'm saying that. And in fact, a lot of churches don't do that well. In fact, I will tell you that a lot of churches don't do, the congregation, the church family does not want to be transparent because the leadership of the church is so harsh, they don't want to participate in that. There's a level of trust that has to be there, a deep level of trust that the people that I'm coming to and I'm saying, here's my struggle, are going to care about me and are going to be gentle. And if I'm in sin, they're going to gently restore me or help me. And that's a trust relationship with the elders. And it's, it's, it's admonishing our elders sometimes. We saw that in 1 Timothy. Sometimes we have to admonish the elders because we, we sin too. Spirit of gentleness. All right, we've got to keep moving. Last part of that says, with patience, bearing with one another in love. With patience. Um, long-suffering, some of your translations may say. Perseverance. Um, I was reading something, I forget who it was, if it was a theologian or just a commentator, said something about uh, patience. One way to look at patience and how, how God was showing patience with us and, and maybe how we, it's the, the fullness of this is, is having the ability to avenge wrong but not doing it. Having the power to avenge the wrong but not doing it. That's patience. That's long-suffering. God has the power, the justice, to avenge the wrong, the sin that we've committed against him, and he doesn't do it. He's patient with us. He's long-suffering. In other words, he's, he's allowing us time. He's patient with us. And so if God is doing that with you and with me, and believe me, he is long-suffering with us, amen, because we continue to struggle even when we know the truths of Scripture then he wants us to be the image bearer to other people that way. That doesn't mean we allow people to walk all over us. It doesn't mean that we, we put ourselves in a position to be abused by people. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying that we can love people and still have guidelines and still be firm, but still love them and be patient. Paul puts it this way in Colossians chapter 3, verse 12 and 13. He says, Put on then, as God's chosen holy, holy ones, or chosen ones, holy and beloved. Notice in both places where he says, that he's always saying, for those that are your, your Christian, and those all the way back in, um, where was it? He's talking about if we're Christians, if we're Christ followers, right? You who are spiritual, you who are God's chosen holy ones. He's addressing the church. He's saying the responsibility is for believers to, be, to live this way, to walk this way. Put on then as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. Bearing with one another. It's, it's finding this line here in, in, in our life, in our spiritual life, because we, we read the Old Testament, we read the New Testament, we, we, we clearly see that justice is coming and that God is gonna, God's wrath is going to be in store for the world, for those who are unrepentant. Absolutely, we should preach that. We see it in the Old Testament. He's, he's flooded the entire world. He's, he's done all sorts of things there to, to rightly justify his name and, and punish sin. 
And so sometimes the church kind of picks up this club and says, no, that's, that's our job. We want to go and, and, you know, smash the sinners in the world. No, our job is to be Christ to them, to love them so that they will escape the judgment because they will hear the gospel, God will work in their hearts, and they will become believers, right? Our job is not vengeance. Vengeance is what? Mine, saith the Lord. He will write things. He will write things. 2 Peter 3.9 says, The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. It's the Spirit here. All right. What's the point here? Walking in a manner worthy of God's uh, working when worthy of our calling means putting on the character of Christ. All this is to say humility and gentleness and patience and long-suffering are all the, the attributes of Christ. So what, what God is saying is when we come into the kingdom, when we're born again and the new person comes up, you know, symbolically out of the water, obviously that's when Christ comes in and makes his, it's not dependent on water baptism, but it's the demonstration of the public thing. We spend the rest of our life putting these things on. Not saying, well, I'm good. I'll see Jesus in glory. I'm just going to keep living as my sinful self. No, our job is to submit to the work of Christ and putting these things on. Conforming to the image of Christ. And I just want to challenge you. Is that what you want? Do you pray for that? Do you ask God to sanctify you, to shape you, to show your sin? We sometimes wonder why the church is in the state that it is because I think a lot of times the saints, the believers, aren't pursuing sanctification on their part. Verse 3. goes on, it says, Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in bonds of peace. Here he uses another word like eager to maintain. Like this, this, this word here is um, diligent, right? Uh, it, it's something that's an endeavor that we labor at this. This is going to be work. Like keeping unity is, is work, amen? Like it's not simple, and so thus we need to be diligent about it, right? We labor at it. Why? To maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bonds of peace. Now, I, I just want to, well, I'll, just, I'll get to that here in a minute. We're, we're laboring at this. If you've been in any church for very long, you know that unity is always a challenge. Amen? You, like, do we all agree on everything? But that's not what unity is, right? So unity is, is not uniformity. Unity is not uniformity. It doesn't mean that we have to believe all the same things. Well, I'll just, I'm just going to give you a few of these, and then maybe I'll expound upon this a little bit. Unity in the Spirit does not require unity in practice. Unity in the Spirit does not require unity in practice. Now, what I'm saying is, just we'll have to go through all of these, and then we'll kind of talk about it. Unity in the Spirit does not require unity in practice. Because we may practice, well, good example, we practice baptism one times backwards by submersion. 
some people that I know in this church were baptized in the Brethren Church. It's three times forwards. <laughs> That's a different practice. Can I have unity with a brother or sister in Christ? Absolutely, just because they baptize that way. I can have unity because someone baptizes babies. They have a different view of baptism. I may disagree with that, but I can have unity in the Spirit with that. You may believe that there's going to be a rapture, and maybe somebody doesn't. We can have unity in the Spirit because of that. You can believe that, um, gosh, you know, you can believe that how God calls people in, in, in your life, and, and is, is it God calling? Did he really choose us before the foundation of the earth? All, we, obviously, we have this ability to choose, and, and where is that? We can kind of differ on those things, and we can all have unity in the Spirit because Christ is what's most important. Now, as a church, we have to, we're going to teach something. Do I think that everything and every position that we take is absolutely true and perfect? No, I don't. I'm very aware. And that's why I tremble when we study. Because I don't want to to not interpret God's word correctly. But yet I am clearly aware that we are not perfect at that. So unity in the spirit does not require unity in practice. We have a praise band. Well, there's two of them this morning, but... um, we don't, we don't sing hymns to an organ. Nothing wrong with that. I have unity with all sorts of people that do that. I, I, I talked to a friend of mine who I um, haven't talked to in years yesterday. Just a, such a joyous conversation. We were best friends when we were kids, young kids. And um, he's been Catholic his whole life. And while I disagree with the Catholic Church and their teaching, I think he loves Jesus, and I think he is where he needs to be. We had a very heart-to-heart conversation. I can have unity with him. Because we have unity in Christ. We don't have unity in practice. We don't, have uni- we don't have to have unity in denominations. But we have unity in Christ. And the next one. Unity in the Spirit is not, does not require unity in all doctrines. We kind of just talked about that. Not in all doctrines. Now, it doesn't mean that we're not striving. And it doesn't mean as a church that we don't have to have boundaries. And if you remember, we did, some of you maybe weren't here, we have a circle, right? And, and what we do inside that circle is the practices of our church, the beliefs of our church. And you may say, well, I don't, I don't agree with all those things. I'm outside the circle on some things. Okay, you can still have unity if you're in Christ. Now, obviously, to be a member of the church, we need to have a, somewhat of a, an understanding of your salvation. We need to know that. We need to have you be baptized. There's certain things. Those are practices, to have unity in this membership, yes, you have to do certain things. But unity is not uniformity. It is unity in Christ. So that was the last point I want to say. Unity in the Spirit means unity in Christ. Unity in the Spirit means unity in Christ. See, God wants us to maintain the unity because he knows how challenging it is. Because that is what we need to be humble, right? Humility. We need to be gentle. We need to bear with one another. We need to be patient. Why? Because to have unity, you're going to have to have those qualities. You're going to. And so like, I, I, I want, Pastor Brian and I have had this conversation. We want to be part of a fellowship that can have hard conversations and not always agree. But we want to have unity. But for that to happen, Pastor Brian and I and all of you need to be humble. We need to be gentle. gentle. We need to be patient. And we need to bear with one another. Like, bear with one another. Like, yeah, man, I don't know if I see it that way, but I know you love Jesus and I love you. Like, I'll, yeah. 
Or, yeah, you're struggling with sin, and I'm going to come alongside. I'm, I'm bearing with you. I'm going to help everything I can. I'm not going to condemn you. I'm not going to judge you. Now, if you keep sinning, yes, there's things that we do as a church, that we do as, a, as an eldership, that we say, no, okay, we have to... We can't let you serve. We can't let you do that, right? There's certain things because we care about you. We don't let our children play in the streets just because we want them to have fun and we love them. Paul says it this way in Romans chapter 12, verse 4 and 5. It says, For as in one body we have many members, one body, one church, this local church. That's what he's talking about, I believe, here. In this local body, we have many members. And members do not all have the same function. We all do different things for the kingdom. Praise God. So we, though many, are one body in Christ. We're one. Now, I think we can all say amen to that. But now, what's the next one? And individually, members of one another. That's where we draw the line. No, nobody gets in my life, right? I'm one with you as long as I don't have to do anything with you, right? No, what, what, well, the saying is, no, we, we share one loaf. We, we, there's, there's, we're sheep, we have shepherds over us. We're, we're trying to, to live our life out and please God and, and live in a way that's pleasing to him and, and we need help doing that. We need admonishment, we need love, we need care. We need to be, Ministered to in times of grief, we need to be prayed over. And so we have to be individually members of one another. And boy, that is the challenge in today's church. It's a challenge in this church. We have several families that aren't attending right now, haven't for some time different levels, different reasons. We don't know all the reasons. Okay, we don't, we don't want members to not be here for three years. Right? I mean, that, that's not membership because membership for us is about discipleship. It's about walking beside each other and, and, and really just holding each other accountable. Okay, if you're not here for three years, okay, membership's probably not for you. Now, we love you. We want to bring you back. We, it's not like we're saying, no, good riddance. We'll see you, right? But the challenge of how we interact with people and the elders, we're struggling. Like, we want to hold you accountable, but yet building relationships with everyone is hard. Each elder has about 30 to 40 people that we've said, okay, kind of shepherd them, know where they're at. Well, one is we're human and we struggle at it a little bit and we struggle to reach out and care the way we should. And many of you are unresponsive. <laughs> so you don't want to talk to us. You don't really, you said you want to be a member, but you want the first part. You want to be in one body, but not one body with everybody else. <laughs> you want your individuality inside the one, right? And what Christ is saying, what Paul is saying here, that God is saying, look, no, the way we grow in maturity, the way we we become more humble, the way we, we practice humility, the way we practice gentleness, the way we practice and get better and grow in patience and bearing one another is that we share with one another what's going on in our life more. Now, that, that, there's a lot of ways that we can do that. That's not obviously corporately. Everybody knows everybody's things. Now, I'm not saying that. But I can tell you, in, in 25 years of ministry, I know that this is what works. This is how God works in his people to bring about a sanctification process.
All right. So what do we see here? God provides unity in the spirit. We are to preserve it. So notice that the scripture doesn't say, Paul's not saying is that we create unity. No, God has provided the unity in Christ. He is the provider of unity. We preserve the unity by how we live out our life, right? How we maintain it, how we love people through it. And look, that's not even easy. Look, there are times when when we're not going to partner with the church down the street for certain things because of a doctrinal issue. That doesn't mean that we can't be unified in the spirit with them and love them as believers. But our practices or our doctrine may say, but we can't go there with you. But churches don't want to hear that. Well, you're hypocrite. You're this way. You're, you know, intolerant. No, we're, we're trying to honor God just like you're trying to honor God. And we want to have unity in the spirit. We just can't partner with that. And so it's hard. It's hard for the elders. We're, we're wrestling with these things. This is not something that we can say, oh, we have this down. Every, every time we meet, we wrestle with things like this. God provides unity in the spirit. We are to preserve it, right? So I would ask you a question. Are you eager to maintain the unity in the spirit? How are you working to maintain the unity in this church, in the spirit. What are you doing? I'm sure there's been disunities at some level. Let's ask you to pray through that. All right, we've got to finish up. I'm not going to expand on these last couple of verses, but I just want to read them to you here. So, so, there is, so here what Paul is saying. He's reminding us of the commonality and the oneness that we have corporately, right? There is one body, the church. There's one spirit. We're going to see the Trinity here, actually. Just as you were called to one hope that belongs to your call, right? So there's one body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism. Here, I think he's talking about water baptism. But even if you said, when I became a Christian, there's one time that God transforms us. One time we're born again, not not multiple times. We don't lose our salvation. Come, we're, we're one time. We're made a new creation. One time. One God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Paul is just saying, look, this is what he's done. Here's how we need to live. Pursue it. Here's how we protect the unity and remind you we're one because we're one in all these things. There's one Lord, one baptism, one God, one spirit, all of it. But then he says in verse four, or chapter seven, or verse chapter four, verse seven, as he concludes here, but grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of God, uh, to the measure of God's or of Christ's gift. So what's the point there? He's saying that we are absolutely one in Christ with all these things, but he wants us to know that it is not impersonal. So what's the point? God's grace is uniquely personal. Notice what he says there. But grace was given to each one of you. Grace was given to Jeff. Grace was given to Mandy, to Dick, to Rhonda. Grace was given to a person. He he died for you. This wasn't just a, well, I just covered everybody. No, he dies for you. It's personal. When he does, and when you become part of the body, we become part of oneness with Christ. We have a spirit there. All right, what's the next step? We gotta wrap up. What's the next step? Respond 
to God's incredible gift of grace with a loving response of obedience, right? Respond to God's incredible gift of grace with a loving response of obedience. What do I mean by that? We should love one another and love God as a response to all the things that we looked at in the first three chapters, right? It's, it's not of, of a works-based system. It's not out of obligation, right? It's not out of obligation. That's not why we do it. In fact, I don't know. Did I, did I miss that point? Because now I'm, I'm wondering if I said that. Early in the message, early in your program there, did I say our response should be a, from a heart of gratitude, not from obligation? I got too excited about what I was saying. But that's the point there. Our response to God for all the things that we just read about in Ephesians chapter 1 that Paul is urging us to live a certain way, it's not out of obligation. Paul is not saying you must do this because you need to earn God's merit. You need to earn his approval. No, it's a response, a loving response to the love of God. That's what this should be. Our life is a, is a offering, a worship back to God for everything he's done. Sorry, I missed that. Well, as you leave here today, pray that your life is an offering. And as you do that, it's how you interact with other people. It's how you love, it's how you respond, it's how you're gentle with people, how you're humble with people. And when we live that way, we are being Christ to people. And we trust that God will use that in the lives of people to bring people to himself and to bring himself glory. Submit to the work of sanctification in your life. Desire to live a life worthy of the calling that he's placed on you. Do everything you can to protect the unity in the spirit with people that are believers in this church and outside this church because that brings God glory. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for our time together today. Lord, I pray that, that we will submit to this work that you've asked us from the day we come to know you, that we get, that we're in Christ from our baptism all the way into glory, Father, that in that gap we will work and strive for you. We'll strive to, to conform to the image of Christ. We'll strive to, to be worthy of this calling, this beautiful thing that you've called us to. But Father, we know that we will fall short. We know that we will not be perfect, and yet you are gentle, and you love us, and you are gracious with us. But Lord, help us not to abuse and, ne and, and, and neglect that grace. Help us to, to live and strive in a way that wants to honor you and, and please you, and yet be comfortable in the grace of knowing when we fail, you are gentle with us and gracious. Father, help us to protect the unity of the church. Father, we don't have all the answers. Help us to strive to know truth. Help us to wrestle for it, but help us to do it in a way in humility 
and a gentleness and be patient with one another. Father, we praise you and thank you for today's time as a fellowship, as believers. Help us to go and be your church. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Thanks again for joining us today. If you have questions about this message or about the Ridge Church, you can contact us at info at theridgechurch.net. Have a blessed day.